Welcome to the Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast, where every week your hosts, Mark LaCour and Matt Bertram, share proven strategies and real-world tactics to help you connect with customers and close more deals. Let's do this. Manage your oil field operations from anywhere with rigor online or offline, whether it's scheduling and dispatching jobs, tracking employee hours, managing equipment rentals or inspections and maintenance. You can create, review, approve, and upload all types of field tickets and agreements securely from any device. Plus, you can generate invoices same day and run powerful operation management dashboards on your desktop or phone. No paper, no errors, no headaches. Learn more at rigor.us. Link is in the show notes. And Matt's not here. Matt is actually on vacation with his family. And I was fortunate enough to be able to talk Jordan Yates to come on board and co-host this episode with me. How are you doing today, Jordan? I am doing pretty good. Fresh off another episode, so I'm ready to (laughs) chit-chat. Yeah. So, Jordan, real quick, high level, who are you and what do you do? Oh, man, that's a good question. So I think the most encompassing term for what I do between all my activities is a marketing engineer. I work for an oil and gas podcast network. I don't know if you've heard of it, OGGN, (laughs) and I do that as well. I recently started as a host of the Energy Pipeline, and I also own my own business and do a little content creation, so we can get into it, but I do quite a bit. What I like to say is I do a lot. (laughs) You do do a lot, and if you're listening to this show and you haven't followed the stories, Jordan basically won a contest to be a host for one of our new podcast and she is just knocked it out the park. We'll put a link to her show. Go check it out. Even if you're not in the oil and gas industry, some of the subjects they talk about apply to anything. But this show is the oil and gas sales and marketing podcast. And today we're going to talk about how to be an effective one person marketing team. The big companies out there have huge marketing departments, but a lot of the smaller companies have a very small marketing team. And a lot of times it's one person. And I know what that feels like. When I started at Modal Point 15 years ago, I was the one person marketing team and the sales team and the accountant and the project manager, right? And so I kind of just kind of want to talk about my thoughts, Jordan. And then, you know, I want you to jump in and comment on that. But I think anytime you're looking at standing up a marketing organization that drive results, whether it's a 500 people or one person, I think the first thing is you need to set real, measurable, accountable marketing goals. Like, what do you want to accomplish with your one-person marketing team? Yeah, I mean, like... That's kind of a funny statement, though, because marketing is one of the hardest places to set measurable goals. And it's a joke, like if you're in marketing of, okay, what do we actually want to track? And then we're like, oh, gosh. And when you don't have legitimate marketing experience, it can be so hard to actually choose those metrics. So Mark, what are your favorite metrics to track? So I'm a firm believer that sales and marketing should be joined at the hip. And I think marketing metrics should be tied to sales revenue in a way that benefits the marketing people, right? So the marketing people with in the process of working with their sales counterparts can actually help set goals such as new logos, revenue, increased margins. But the marketing side of the house is really just to help educate the prospects to get to those goals. And then it's in a lot of ways, it's up to the sales team to actually bring that in, bring that revenue in, bring those new logos in. But you can share those goals. 
Now, the one thing that's really kind of a gray area in marketing is there's a lot of benefits to marketing that's hard to put in an Excel spreadsheet, right? So if somebody accepts a salesperson's meeting because two years ago they read a piece of content put out by the marketing team, honestly, there's no way to measure that, right? But that marketing content helped that salesperson get that meeting. So I think another one of the areas when you're setting marketing goals is be okay with the fact that you can't put everything in black and white and know that there's some intrinsic value. It's sort of like conferences. I'm a firm believer that oil and gas conferences have lost a lot of their value, the large international conferences, because you no longer need to go to the conference to learn anything about the oil and gas industry. You can literally go online whenever you want in your cell phone and Google whatever. However, the networking part of the large oil and gas conferences where you get to meet people in person, exchange business cards, have a cocktail or so, that's super valuable. But to your point, Jordan, how do you measure that? Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the most legitimate way I noticed. So I work on a marketing team for my full-time job and I work with a lot of traditional marketing people, even though I'm more traditionally engineering. And something I see that's successful in tracking is using a CRM like HubSpot, where you're able to track like, you know, somebody downloaded your white paper. Here's a list of leads from the white paper. Here you go, sales guys. Like this is what you can go use. Whereas if marketing wasn't doing that, that list of leads wouldn't exist. So marketing is very good for lead generation. But like you said, it should be embedded with sales because it's up to them to bring it through the finish line. Because sometimes it can be frustrating if you have a sales background and you hand it off to sales and they don't do anything. And you're like, come on, buddy, like you're hurting my metrics too. Like you got to get it together. A hundred percent. Matt and I talk about this all the time in that number one, even in a small company, you got to be real careful that your messaging is consistent between sales and marketing and salespeople raise your hand and take ownership of this. How many of you have gotten some really great collateral from your marketing counterpart and then you change it? You don't do that, right? Because now there's two versions of the same collateral. If there's something you don't like, get with your marketing peers, sit down and talk through it. At the same time, salespeople, bring your marketing peers with you to customer meetings. That way they can listen and they can hear what the customers are dealing with, the problems that they need solved. And it's going to help them produce better content and to Jordan's case, better leads for both of y'all. So the next step, I think, is really identifying who your audience is. When I say audience, a lot of people on social media are thinking TikTok. I don't mean that. When I say audience, I really mean buyers. Establish who buys from you. I'm amazed at the amount of really fantastic content that's out there that doesn't talk to the company's buyers, right? And there is a place for educating the audience as a whole, right, or educating the public as a whole. But you need to establish who your audience is, who your buyer audience is. A lot of times you'll hear the word persona thrown around. And Jordan, if somebody says persona, they don't know what that is. What is that? I guess sort of your online presence and who you're trying to be. So I agree that there is a platform that is typically best per company. So say you're selling skincare, maybe Instagram is your B2C platform where you're actually reaching your potential buyers there. But for our industry, if we're going B2B and we're more technical, I think that LinkedIn is a place you would want to spend more time. Like who cares how many subscribers you have on YouTube or Instagram, because that's not where you're going to make your money as much unless you're monetizing the platform. But that and then email marketing has the highest ROI. Typically, I think it's like $36 to something, 36 to one versus regular marketing. Like it is the most effective because it's directly reaching your potential customers. So I think sometimes people don't think as 
use email as like a platform as much and that it's old school, but it still has the highest ROI. Like get off of reels, like email your customers. <laughs> so George skipped way ahead of me, which is cool because I love where this is going. So I block out every Wednesday and Thursday in my calendar to cold call. And I can tell you 100% that a very well-researched email sent to the right person at the right company is incredible. When I do it right, I get about a 70% conversion rate. That means seven out of 10 emails I send, somebody responds back to me. And I'm trying to sell podcast sponsorships, which is sort of new in the oil and gas industry. But what doesn't work is the mass spammy emails that nobody likes that fills up all of our inboxes. Also love the fact you talk about the social platforms. You're right. In the oil and gas industry, there's a lot of platforms to choose from. But there's several that have most of the traffic, especially most of the traffic of your buyers. I love LinkedIn as well. I think that's probably the number one. You know, as a company, OGGN has experimented with all platforms out there. And strangely enough, for a little while, and nothing against Elon Musk, I love him to death, but before Elon Musk bought Twitter, we actually had some decent results on Twitter. Most of our results were on LinkedIn. We've played around with TikTok. There's actually starting to be some good oil and gas content from younger people on TikTok. I still think it's kind of early, but you're 100% right. Figure out which platforms your buyers want and use those platforms, and then don't worry about the rest of them. Then the next thing I always like to think about is understand how your industry buys. So in the oil and gas industry, if you're selling big stuff, heavy steel, it's not going to be sold through Facebook on a Saturday. It's just, it's not. <laughs> Although I do know some companies, Jordan, that have actually sold trucks, like work trucks in oil and gas on Facebook, right? They figure out how to get in front of the right people using paid Facebook ads that needed the trucks. And so you can sell equipment on Facebook, but the oil and gas industry tends to be slow. It tends to want to talk to a real person at one point in that buying process. And it, we tend to have very large dollar transactions. So understanding how that works, understand how the oil and gas industry buys, then helps you also with your marketing. Once again, you know, if you built a marketing funnel on one of the social platforms with a bunch of calls to action, that may work in consumer to consumer, and it may work in consumer to business, depending on what your industry is. It's not going to work in oil and gas. It's you're not going to get somebody to go through a marketing funnel or email automation and buy a, a blowout preventer or a tree or a drill rig, right? So I understand mean, you just how can't like you can't put yeah. that in your car on Amazon and check it out. Like it's just if you could, then that would be very interesting. I'd love to see whose credit card can afford that. <laughs> Hear that, Amazon? Here's another market channel for you. <laughs> they may be listening for all we know. But your marketing can, instead of trying to drive little sales with your marketing efforts, what your marketing can do is educate the oil and gas audiences in what you do, what problems you solve, how you help other companies, which then you can make it easy for the prospective buyer to reach out to your sales team, right? And then sales team, when you get these type of leads from marketing, please do not wait two weeks to return the email or the phone call. Lack of speed kills deals, right? And it's the same way. When somebody reaches out and it hits your marketing channel and they're interested in a product or service and it's handed off to sale, that it really should be that phone call, that email should return that day if it at all possible. Yeah. Don't let it sit there. For sure. Mark, and I kind of have a question on platforms for you and what you suggest being that you have more of the sales background and that you have more experience in this industry. You're saying like it is good, you know, if you have the time and you have the bandwidth market to get your persona on Instagram, TikTok, like all those other places that maybe they're not actually buying from, but where do you see like the line of value between them actually spending the time to do that? Whereas maybe they should just focus on the places their customers are actually at. Yeah, that's a great question. So 
One of the things that's changed in the oil and gas industry, if a much younger workforce coming in, look at yourself, and your generation tends to be on all social platforms, not necessarily at work, but in life in general. And so if you can educate in a way that's fun, not some boring, please, no slide decks on Instagram, right? <laughs> or, or even Facebook. But, you know, grab your cell phone. Jordan's actually go check out Jordan's channel LinkedIn. She does this all the time. Grab your cell phone, shoot a video with decent audio, having fun at your workplace, right? Showing what your company does, showing some of the stuff that happens, maybe some of the mistakes. We don't want to show anything that's proprietary, but this allows people to start seeing your company in a more personable way, which once again is one of those metrics that's hard to measure from a marketing point of view. But in this industry, people like doing business with people. And if they feel like they know your company, and especially if they feel like they know you, they will reach out. And that helps drive sales because you're establishing trust both with yourself as a person, but also with your company. So I think all platforms, if you have the bandwidth, you should play around with. But once again, if you're a one-person marketing team, you got to pick the one or two that drives results so that you can get paid so that you can prove to your management their dollars are well spent. And then the rest, I think, is something to experiment with. And as we go through time, there'll be different social platforms that'll come online. Different ones will have different value. You know, Instagram's actually looking more and more attractive to us as a podcasting network and all gas because of the visuals. Our problem, you know this, Jordan, is as a small company, we don't have the time to make sure people get the visuals, get the pictures and videos, edit them so they look fun, they're well done, professional, and then post them on Instagram. We will do that somewhere in the future because I see the value in it, but we don't have time for that right now. And that's the problem with most one-person marketing teams is you don't have time to do everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's when it becomes really important to streamline your processes and to implement technology tools that enable one person to be acting like, you know, 20 people. Are you but reading over my shoulder? That's exactly what I have next. Schedule and automate as much possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's so funny. Okay, well, let me just let you ask the question then before I go on my own tangent. No, so next, as a small marketing team, you need to schedule and automate as much possible. If any of you follow OGGN or myself on Twitter, I have a confession to make. That's not really me. Every now and then it is, honestly. But that's an AI tool that I've built and trained to find relevant, useful content and post for me on Twitter. You can do the same. In fact, Jordan, one of the funny things is I get people all the time going, how do you have the time to do this? And then I have to explain, it's not me, I'm using a tool. So why don't you expand upon that? Yeah. So I think there's multiple levels of the tools. Yours is more like you said, the scheduling and that aspect. Mine would be a big part of my selling point and what I do at the marketing company I run is content creation. So content creation is difficult and it's time consuming and it's really hard when you first get started. But once you kind of get the muscle memory down of getting your raw footage, putting it into a system, chopping it up and using it multiple ways, then that's when you become streamlined. So it is a learning curve, but I'll use apps like Captions. Captions is a new app on the iPhone where it takes a one minute clip that you cut out and it will add the automatic subtitles, but in a fun, attractive, flashy way. And then it will also add things like music and it'll do all the ducking so it sounds good and it's not interrupting while you speak. And I used to do all that manually and it would take me like 30 minutes to add captions to a video. Now it takes me less than two minutes. So it's finding small parts of your process that you can automate that will save you so much time. So now rather than creating one, you know, short video a week or a month for my customers, I do them daily. I do it while I drink my coffee in the morning because it's so quick. Yeah. I'm going to have to get with you offline because I am still 
taking video, cutting it down to the piece that I find important, using an AI tool to transcribe it, and then converting that transcription after I proofread it to SRT files. So I didn't realize I was even out there. So after this, you have to tell me again the name of that tool. Maybe we get them to sponsor this episode. That yeah. sounds amazing. I found it like three weeks ago and it's changed my life. I'm so upset I didn't have it sooner. <laughs> what a great tool. So let's talk, let's actually kind of go deep down this content hole because it's super important. So content, it can be all kinds of stuff. It can be text, it can be audio, it can be video. In oil and gas, there's not a lot of people out there putting out high quality content. And content also can help you rank for things. So search engine optimization. If you Google right now, oil and gas sales experts or oil and gas keynote speaker are selling to the oil and gas industry using podcasts, you should see me, Mark LaCour, or my company come up in that first page organically. I'm not paying for that. I did that intentionally. I wrote what I considered very high-quality content. So when somebody asks those questions to Google, Google thinks I'm the right answer, which means that anybody that's looking for an oil and gas speaker or an oil and gas sales expert podcast in oil and gas, they see me first and it drives business my way. However, the way I create that content was I shot a video about three minutes long, which is about 15, 1700 words. I then transcribed it, cleaned up the transcription because you speak differently than you read. The transcription became a blog post, which is why I rank for stuff. The video became a YouTube on our YouTube channel. And then I took that video, chopped up little bits and pieces. And even to this day, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see me on Thursdays, put out a very short video for throwback Thursdays. And it's bits and pieces of videos that I've recorded for the last 15 years. So that one piece of content is super useful over and over and over again, which drives efficiency if you're a small marketing shop. I love that you mentioned blog posts because the company I work for full-time actually has such amazing SEO because of their weekly blog posts, which is something I'm a part of. But I think it's interesting how you utilize the video and turn it into a blog post because the video is what someone would actually go and watch rather than reading the blog post. But the blog post does so much to the back end of your SEO that that's what's going to push your video. So I love that you do both because in my personal one, you know, I do more of the video. But if I added that layer of transcription and then uploading as a blog, I bet that would make such a big difference. So, so let me tell you how I started point. doing that, Jordan. It was easier for me to shoot video than to write a blog post. And some people are opposites easier than, you know, I'm not scared of camera effects. Some people tell you that I love the camera too much. <laughs> so for me, that was a way to actually use something I was good at and create content that normally would have been a chore, which would be writing a blog post. And so anybody listen, you could do the exact same. I mean, literally exact same. And if you're the opposite of me, if you're a better writer and you'd rather write than shoot a video, you can animate your blog post, and you personally don't have to be on camera if you feel uncomfortable. So you could come at it from multiple angles. And then, like I said, you could, you, what you're doing is creating a library of content. So the first big bang out the box is your search engine optimization, the fact that you're ranking for stuff your buyers are looking for. And if you don't know what that means, come back to one of our later episodes. Matt and I are going to do a deep dive on that. But basically, in today's world, 2023, if you're a small four-person company, you can compete with the Amazons and the Microsofts and IBMs of the world by ranking for stuff that they sell, if that's what you also sell. But as being a small one-person marketing team, this about builds you a library. And Jordan, you know this because this is what you do for a living. I bet when a new client engages with you and they want you to help them, how useful would it be if they had this library existing of pictures and videos they've shot over the last couple of years? Because it gives you something to work with. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a catch 22 with that because I have had a client before that had some footage and then they're like, can you turn this into something? And it was a little rough because they 
didn't have much experience with actually recording videos and I did my best and it was not my proudest project, but I did what I could with what they had, but they understood what they were going to get out of, you know, shaky footage. So I would say definitely if you are looking to eventually create content, just record everything all the time and you might be able to find something useful out of it, whether you're breaking it down yourself or you're paying someone else to do it for you. Yeah. If you're somebody trying to help another company, you would rather have more content to have to cull than less content to have to create. And actually, Jordan, let's talk about the actual tactical parts of this. So if you've seen in my old modal point videos for a decade, I shot all of them on my iPhone with a tripod, a $20 inexpensive tripod. And in the very beginning, I used a $19 wired lav mic. So I had almost no investment in gear. You have to understand lighting, so you do a little research on Google on how to make sure you light it, but basically face the sun is the first place to start. And then later, Jordan, I moved over to a wireless microphone, but still using my iPhone. And it's only in the last couple of years that I've changed my camera. So for people out there that think they need all this expensive gear, they don't, right? No. Oh, my gosh. So I basically did everything on my iPhone until a week ago when Mark was so nice and left me <laughs> an extremely fancy camera. But I had made about, I guess, like $25,000 in profits within the first part of the year by doing everything on my iPhone for my customers. So I would show up to my customer sites to create content, literally tripod, iPhone, and a set of lights. The next thing I realized, same thing as you, that I wanted to invest in was the wireless microphones. So I spent about $300 there and got the DJI really nice ones. That changed everything. And honestly, the iPhone video quality still would have been fine, but I'm always trying to improve. And I'm like, you know, I want to try something else. So that's when I upgraded to the camera that you lent me. And I've only done, I guess, one project on it so far. So TBD, we'll see when it's done. But I think having things on your iPhone is so easy because you can edit there, you can do everything there. And it just is so much simpler but you don't need to invest a lot of money to start creating content. Yeah, and we're not picking on the Android people. The new Android phones kidding. are just... <laughs> <laughs> the, the new Android finds do almost as good a job as the iPhone. How about we believe it that way? I'm a big Apple fan too. I'm a yeah, big I just wouldn't know. I haven't used the Android since I was like 16. So I bet their cameras are just as good and I'm sure they have their own version of being able to edit on their phone. Basically, if you have a smartphone with a camera, you're set to get going and you don't always know what you need until you get going. So if you realize audio is where I want to improve, video is, lighting is, figure it out as you go rather than trying to buy thousands of dollars of equipment that you don't know how to use. You get too overwhelmed and then you create nothing. And then your manager's mad at you because you just spent 10 grand on equipment. Yeah. Let me reinforce that. Too many people that I know think the gear is the key. It is not. The gear is the last thing you need to worry about. It's your ability to be able to conceptualize and tell a story via, via video. And that can be something as simple as a couple of bullet points you want to follow. Since it's not in real time, if you screw up, you just shoot it over and over again till you get it right. And then, in my opinion, audio is more important than video. So your video quality needs to be good. But your audio quality always needs to be good. If you have crappy audio and great video, throw it away. I'd rather have great audio and crappy video and work with that than the opposite. So, yeah, you don't need to spend a lot of money in gear. In fact, I think it hurts you in the beginning. Now, I will say this much, Jordan. You're going to be spoiled. So after you shoot with that camera for a while because of what it can do, you're not going to want to go back to your iPhone. But, folks, I'm telling you, iPhone is phenomenal. Any modern smartphone is great for creating content for your company. Yeah, especially right. on the go. It's it's so yeah. simple. It's in your pocket. All right. Then 
Get help producing content. How many companies never think that their existing buyers would probably love to get some free exposure, right? Get your customers to help create content with you or even for you. If you think about what is going on right now with the podcast, I have Jordan on. Now, she's one of our people. She has her own podcast, the OGG and Network. But if this was another podcast, we'd probably have a guest on that we're interviewing. That guest is creating content for us for free because they want the exposure and they're happy to do so. So if you're a small marketing shop, get other companies and other people to help you create content. If you have businesses that are partners with yours, talk to their marketing team, right? See if they have content they can share. If you want to do something special, see if they want to split the cost. Have your customers shoot testimonial videos. Do you know how powerful it is when one of your customers grabs their phone and shoots a one-minute video talking about how you help them? It's that's worth its weight in gold. So if you're a small marketing team, get other people to help you create content. Even to the point of last year, we had a young woman that Paige and I actually, this is going to sound creepy. It's not meant to be creepy, people. Paige <laughs> and I met in an airport, actually in the Denver airport. And she was wanting to study marketing in college. She had a mind for marketing. And so she created some content for us and we paid her a few dollars, right? But I got the quality of content that was worth 50 times what we paid her, right? So you can help get other people, other companies help you create content to help you market your business. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because like, I'll say one place where you see that benefit, like just times 10 is one of my customers that I create content for their distributor for multiple different manufacturers. And so whenever we create videos with their manufacturer's products, then the manufacturers are all sharing it. And then they're just multiplying the effort. So all we did was take one video, but now all of a sudden like 20 different people and companies are resharing and liking. And you get that like attached credibility because if your manufacturer you supply for is resharing yours over another distributors, because you're the only one making it, that helps you stand out. And then you start to get some more like preferential treatment because they're like, these people are doing the extra step. And the amazing thing about content is that it's not as much work as it looks. So if you're posting videos daily, maybe you've got it down and you have it streamlined and it takes you 10 minutes a day. Well, people don't realize how much work it is or isn't. So they see it and they think, wow, they are doing so much. Like let's reward that effort because a lot of it's a smoke screen. You know, it looks like more than it is and people love it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So besides getting other people and companies to help you produce your content, help get them to help you share it. Jordan, one of our sponsors is a company called IBM, which everybody's heard of. Yeah. And we did an episode where we faked IBM hacking into oil and gas this week, like as a cybersecurity attack. And the IBM marketing team shared it on their platforms globally. We had like over a million downloads for that one episode because IBM's marketing team shared it globally. And I'm not saying, audiences, you can get IBM to share your stuff, but I promise <laughs> you, you have other companies that you work with and leverage them. To Jordan's credit, they will happily share your content because it helps them as well. So that's another, actually a great tip, Jordan, is to get other companies to share your stuff. All right. So we kind of talked through all the stuff that you need to do that we think you need to do to be an effective one-person marketing team. Here's my last one, and this is one of the reasons I'm so glad we have Jordan here, in that you can't do everything as a one-person marketing team. You can't. Especially if you start driving good results, you get overwhelmed. So the last thing, my last tip for you is outsource where you can, where it makes sense. And Jordan, that's what you do on for the side is you're that company that other marketing people outsource to. So can you kind of talk to – what does that look like? How do you help, you know, that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. So some of my bigger customers are ones where they have sales teams and they have all the inside sales and support everywhere. And they kind of have marketing, but they kind of don't. They're people doing multiple jobs trying to cover it. Well, when we're in such a technical industry, it is so hard to just hire a traditional marketing firm to translate your content because they don't always understand the technical aspect and it could be a bit of a headache. So that's kind of where my value proposition is, is that I am an engineer by trade and I understand the technical side and I also learn to make videos. So I am able to go in and just show up to my customers. They show me their product they want talked about and instantly I know what it is. I know how to talk about it. We sit down. I create the video content for them. And then I help them with all their social channels. And to them, all it takes them is, you know, obviously what they're paying me. And then about two hours a month that they sit down and we make a whole bunch of content. So I think the nice thing is you're not as investing as much time. And if you're able to outsource somebody who is technical enough to translate your message, it will save you so much money because what they pay me monthly is just a tiny fraction of what they would have to pay me if I were full-time because getting a full-time technical marketer is so, so expensive. So if you can outsource, you're going to pay, you know, a quarter, a fifth of what you would if it was their salary. So I would say it's not always like a magic thing of if you outsource your marketing, it'll be done perfectly. But if you do your research and you find somebody who understands your value proposition, I think it can be incredibly effective and a huge cost savings. Yeah. And people, how many engineers that know the oil and gas industry also do marketing? There's like three of them in the world, and I'll have one of them <laughs> on the microphone with me. Very few marketers understand the oil and gas industry. So we'll have Jordan's information in the show notes. So scroll up or left, depending if you're on iOS or Android, and you can reach out to her if you need it. About time to start winding down the show. This is the point where we do a product review. We actually don't have a product review. We will have one when Matt comes back from vacation. Connect with us on all of our social channels. Those are also in the show notes. Our insiders group for our mastermind for our chief marketing officers and chief revenue officers. We're still working on it. We're going to launch that in the fall. We'll let you know. All right, Jordan. Now it's time for the LinkedIn fail or tip of the week. And I think you have a fail. I do. So I was telling Mark before we got started, my funny, not so funny fail. I like to be very transparent with a lot of my followers. So I tell them what's up, but I have a personal podcast on the side and it's literally called failing for you. So it's, you know, on brand that I had such a public fail, but I used chat GPT to write an episode description for me of one of the episodes I had that had a bit more of a touchy subject. And me being a ding dong, I did not thoroughly read through before I posted because it was like three paragraphs long. And so I just copied and pasted, put it on the LinkedIn page for my podcast and put that out as the episode description and was like, Hey guys, this is what we talked about this week. And somebody came on there and they just attacked me. They were like, I can't believe you're like supporting this and talking about this. And I was like, Oh my God, let me reread what I posted. And I realized that like it had totally inaccurately described what position I had taken on the subject. And it made me look so insensitive. And luckily that guy attacked me. So I was able to take that post down and change it. But the fail slash tip is if you're going to use AI to automate a process, make sure you're double checking as you go. Do not just fully trust it as the final draft. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. And I've actually been playing around with ChatGBT too and found it super useful so far. And I'm just starting to play around with it. We may end up doing another episode on that. Jordan, once again, thank you for stepping in. Thank you for coming on the mic. This has been great. I'm sure the audience is going to love this. 
if people want to find out more about you, we're going to direct them to your LinkedIn page. And we'll also put a link into your podcast, which is phenomenal. And I'm not saying that because it's on our network. It is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Mark. This was so much fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. So remember, folks, make a difference and not a sale. Check us out next week for another enriching and cheeky episode of Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.